This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive and June. Olive and June gives you Everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Welcome to Bottoming, the podcast about LGBTQ mental health, rock bottoming and beyond. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at BottomingPod or visit BottomingPodcast.com for more content relating to each episode. We've also added a support page to direct you to the right place if you're struggling or need someone to talk to. Thanks for listening and don't forget to subscribe. Hello, I'm Matthew. And I'm Brendan, and our pronouns are he and him. So, you're listening to another episode of Bottoming. Yep. How you doing, Brenda? I'm very good, thank you, doll. It's been a um, lovely couple of weeks. Nice mm-hmm. to reflect on our LGBT History Month episodes, mm-hmm. um, which I'm very proud of. Yeah, it's been lovely. How's your... I mean, mm-hmm. your week has obviously been <laughs> mad. Do you want to tell us about mm. it? Yeah, it has. It's been a really intense couple of weeks, actually, for me. Um, I have really loved kind of the 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 time that we've been able to reflect on um, after our LGBT History Month episodes, mm-hmm. um, especially with the people that we got to meet, some of the stories that we um, spoke about on those episodes. But what has been kind of doubly special Mm. um is that the work i've been doing in my day job so um for people listening you may have heard of this um within the last week or so so i work for tonic housing and i'm our communications manager and we've just announced that we'll be launching the very first um lgbt affirming retirement community in the uk um so my last month or so has been 
really quite intense, focused <laughs> on that. Um, we're a tiny, tiny team. There's only, f- well, it was three of us up until two Mondays ago. Now there's four of us. Um, but yeah, as a as a, a single person comms team, I've had a little bit of agency, agency support, but I kind of have been completely stunned by the response to that announcement mm-hmm. um, that we made. It was on Tuesday. It's been really, really fantastic. So um, if you've been living under a rock and maybe you haven't heard about this, I'm just going to give you a little bit of a summary. So um, Tonic, yeah, is going to be the UK's first LGBT affirming retirement community. Um, and we secured a £5.7 million loan from the Mayor of London. So the support comes from the Greater London Authority's Community Housing Fund. And that's going to enable us to purchase 19 properties um, at Bank House, which is a one housing older living scheme scheme in Lambeth, um, which is in Vauxhall. So that'll make us um, the UK's first provider of LGBT affirmative housing. Um, and we're going to begin sales later in the spring. So um, it is a major milestone for LGBT housing. Um, there's currently no LGBT affirming provision with care in operation in the UK. Um, and we know from various pieces of research and loads of different things that that there is demand um mm-hmm. from from the community but especially from older lgbt people so yeah um for anyone that wants to kind of check any of this out we we were on bbc news on wednesday last wednesday we were on sky news on friday we've been on bbc radio we've been on gaydio we've been on times radio literally anywhere you look it's been <laughs> tonic, tonic. <laughs> fantastic honestly so yeah, give us a follow on social. It's at Tonic Housing, um, and yeah, any any support is very much appreciated. Um, it's it's a small, it's a very well, it's a, it's a massive milestone, um, but it's a stepping stone for something much bigger. Um, and obviously, there's there's so much more work to be done, and yeah, everyone everyone has been working incredibly hard for a lot of years um, mm-hmm. to make this a reality. So yeah, Do you I'm, know- I'm feeling very proud at the moment the way that you've uh, <laughs> i mean <laughs> yeah the way you've been this week it reminded me of when um i used to work in events and i begged you to come and help me <laughs> for this one three-day biscuit event in reading honestly just the amount of hours that went into it and then matthew saw me the the day he came to reading honestly i could barely keep my eyes open for dinner it was just, and, and that's what it's been like for you this week, like trying to have a conversation with you. It's just, I mean, you've just been flat out. So you should be very proud, as well, like, very proud of the work you've done. For people that work in in communications and especially social media and like community side of stuff, um, keeping your own mental health kind of top priority is really, really, really important. So I... Um, because it was a, an announcement from Sadiq Khan and from the Mayor of London, um, we were tagged in his mentions for a solid two days. And it is the pits of humanity, the people that respond, especially to Sadiq Khan's um, tweets, but just generally Twitter can can be a really dark place, um, especially with, with topics like this. So, And I just need to say a, a thank you to um, Sarah Moore, who was on our um, last History Month episode, actually, because she sent me a really nice message um, on Instagram the other day, just mm-hmm. to kind of a little couple of tips. And just, yeah, it was just, it's really nice to kind of get those types of messages because it can be, um, it can be quite overwhelming, even when the support is so enormous and you're getting 
all of that it only takes you know a couple of the wrong type of messages to kind of pull the blocks on everything else so mm-hmm. yeah but yeah thank you um for people that have sent messages my way it's very much appreciated but yeah at tonichhausen on socials and tonichhausen.org.uk for more information So last Friday, um, we also had some really good news. We were included in the latest Gay Times issue um, in a little feature um, about 21 creatives doing work during lockdown called Clap for Creatives, which is very sweet. Um, amongst a few of our guests, actually, we've got um, Benjamin Dean, Alim Karaj, and also some future guests possibly are in there as well, but we won't give that away. But it was actually written by the amazing Jamie Windust, who is our guest this week. Um, so thank you so much, Jamie, for including us in that. And also I just want to shout out like Tom Aspel's in this um, in this issue and Sam, my boyfriend, shot the photos in there. So it was so lovely just to see that little <laughs> see that little mention in there too. I just got to say, I love it. <laughs> Kiss <ass. laughs> So as well as writing for Gay Times, Jamie is also a presenter and model um, and also an author. So we want to speak to Jamie about their book, In Their Shoes, Navigating Non-Binary Life. Both me and Brendan have read Jamie's book. Both absolutely loved it. Stunning. Um, Jamie has been a big supporter um, of Bottoming actually since we started back in 2019. Um, and we've kind of been in touch ever since. Um, we really wanted them to appear on our first season but obviously we took a bit of a break Mm -hmm. um so yeah been top of our wish list ever since so we were really really thrilled um that we were able to speak to them for this episode um and obviously in the meantime between taking our break they did release this um really incredible book so yeah we are just really grateful um to jamie for giving us um their time so over to jamie just to let you know that towards the end of this interview, there are conversations around interactions with the police and sexual assault that some listeners may find triggering. Thank you for having me. Yeah, you did just enlighten me that I was one of your first Apple podcasts. Is that right? Yeah. Apple reviews, which um, I was clearly just trying to shag one of you probably at that point. <laughs> <laughs> By trying to get into your good book. Which one? Which one? <laughs> that, that would be telling. Um <laughs> Matthew. Um, <laughs> Red for filth. But, but yeah, no, big fan, big fan. I think, as I was saying, podcasts are very emotional for me because they, they always take me back to a time in, time in life. And I used to listen to you when I, when I trotted around the art galleries because um, I'm... Can you name drop the art gallery just to make me feel better? It was, that, that, it, it was the special. Tate. I was looking out at the balcony listening to you both talk about being severely mentally ill. So um, <laughs> it was a real comfort because, uh-huh. you know, we all were. We all are yeah. severely mentally ill. Can you tell I've not really spoken to anyone today yet? <laughs> bottoming, bottoming Times Tate has got quite a nice ring to it, actually. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> bottoming Tate. What? Well, <laughs> I think I've seen that on the internet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My favourite podcast type is one that is like listening to two people on the bus, 
Like you, you, you're listening in and then it's also a bit juicy. But I think the conversation had not been had before about just like complete honesty with uh, mental health or, you know, people talk about mental health in a way sometimes that is a bit too pretty. Mm. And I think it was nice to to hear that you were also bottoming. I think obviously this is um, we wanted to talk about your book and I think one of the things I wasn't expecting maybe a bit naively of me was the large amount of discussion around mental health in there Mm. Um, so I know we kind of can discuss that it kind of feeds into all of the different chapters in it but one of the things that you do um, discuss in it and there's so many there's too many quotes to kind of read off but you discuss a lot um around identity and fashion uh. um and kind of what that means to you and also how it's perceived by others kind of what was it like putting that down on paper do you know what this is you know you may call this an exclusive it's fine i will allow you to sell this but i i and it might tell you might be able to tell from reading it but i the majority of that book i was drunk no, that's that's a lie. Not the majority. <laughs> I'd say that like the difficult chapters. I remember sitting in Soho Grind, clang, and oh. <laughs> or any other establishment, and just like literally just not like being unhealthy with it, but just being like, I this is going to be difficult, so I'm going to get a Negroni. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of it was difficult to write, like the fashion stuff. A lot of like I've never really spoken about childhood, or. I'd not. I've never written about that first time with fashion, and and exploring it since. Well, I've never written about it. I've just experienced it. Um, so it was difficult. It was really difficult. I think the hardest one for me was the mental health chapter, and the 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 chapters towards the end, like the allyship and the prejudice chapters, because those two were the most. Um, for example, like the rest of the book kind of made me go back in time, whereas those two chapters are. Uh, focused primarily on what was literally happening around me as I was writing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, which is quite helpful because I could then just instantly channel the shit through my writing. Whereas with the fashion stuff and the family stuff, I had to trawl back in time through my own head and then push it out onto paper. Um, but yeah, it's tough. It's tough. Really tough. Um, wouldn't recommend. <laughs> I think one thing that I've seen a few people, um, especially like people that comment or write or discuss, I mean, I'm not going to use the term activist because I know um, that's a term that's thrown around a lot online. Nowadays, everyone either calls other people activists or claims to be an activist or whatever. But people that happen to um, be online in a certain space because they're so attuned to what is going on online, they just are kind of tied to that word. And I guess what you were saying about writing, about maybe things that have happened in the past, even though it's difficult going back in time and pulling that back up, you can kind of then switch off or try to at least switch off from it again. Whereas while everything is happening, and especially in the more current chapters, while all of that is happening in the here and now, how did you process my, or how did you manage that? not being able to turn that off because it is it is literally happening there and then. Yeah, it's only, it was, it was difficult. And I had this realization this year and through my work this year as well, that I was like, you can't, 
you can only process so much through your work. You can't process everything through your work. My natural instinct, and I think because of this activist label, my natural instinct is if something's happened and I want to feel like I'm processing it, I will write about it. But what I learned this year is that you you can do that. That's absolutely fine. It's just the autonomy around that decision is really important. If mm. you decide to do that and you want to publish that, then it's fine. If you want to do it and you don't want to publish it, that's fine. I've got reels of shit that I've not published because I don't feel the need to publish it. Um, but yeah, it, it, what I realized is it, you can only process so much through writing. Or it's kind of, I see writing as in a similar vein to like how therapy almost you you get everything out and then everything's laid in front of you and then it is your job if you choose to do it to pick apart the things that you see in front of you like therapy is quite broad in that respect but you can go in and after an hour session and spend five thousand pound you are like oh shit this is my problem but then you have to tackle that problem then you have to pick it apart um, and that's what I found with, with writing. I was like, right, I've just realized this from my past. Am I going to do anything with it? When you were listening originally to the podcast, I remember you were kind of sharing a couple of videos with us when you were visiting home and like having... Um, <laughs> I think you'd maybe listen to one of the episodes about us talking about family relationships. And I, I know you touched upon that in the book as well. Um was writing did that kind of unearth certain things to allow you to be able to resolve things with your family or did you feel um that you'd had those conversations before about identity and yeah we've still not really it's interesting because we've still not had the full conversation but i think the process of me writing the book throughout 2019 and then it being published and just 2020 as a whole meant that during my writing process I had like I've just said I'd realized that this I'd laid everything out and there was this problem with my family and it was that I'm not honest with them I'm not communicative with them I spent so long as a young person even younger than I am now um <laughs> like completely putting walls up and just not talking to them um so I realized that that was a problem and then I think 2020 my life in 2020 just everything about that experience brought us closer because I just flicked a switch and I was like, I'm just going to be fully honest with you about everything. Um, I didn't let them read the book until it was published. They were like, I want to read it. I want to know what you're saying. And I was like, you don't want to know what I'm saying. Um, and the second my mum read it, she was like, why the fuck are you calling me beige? And <laughs> She was like, why? She was like, in, she was actually really angry. She was like, in the first sentence of the family chapter, you slagged off my shoes. And I was like, <laughs> I, was like I know. <laughs> Get some better shoes, mum. Um, but yeah, no, the family chapter was difficult because there's a lot. Um, it's factually correct. But a lot of it has been changed. Uh, and it, it really brought people out of the woodwork who just share the same name as me but think they deserve a slice of the pie shall we say um that kicked up kicked up a fuss um because i was going to slag them off and mm. then it turned out i wasn't allowed to um because although you know i loved the idea of drama of going to court against my own family um 
but my publishers didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, one of the just to pull up the receipts again, just to show you what one of the um one of the paragraphs I actually pulled up kind of based on what you've just said then. Um the idea of family. But is it just because we're grown autonomous in our lives as human beings that a potential divide is created? Or there is a lack of closeness within a family unit? Or is it the queerness? Or is it both? Is queerness the catalyst, the already pre-existing separation that occurs with some millennials and their families? What a question I've posed there. So many <laughs> questions. It's a big questions. Mm -hmm. What I wanted to do in this chapter was to make it relatable. But family is the topic that is so bespoke to every person that I was like, I can't. I can't sit here and, and tell you how to navigate your family life because it's not going to work. There's so many intersectionalities with that that will just make it uh, patronizing. Um, so I just shared my experience. And then what I thought was interesting that came from that was what you've just read was this idea that I, when I was sat there, I was like, am I separated from my family because of my queerness or is it just because we're very different like we have very different opinions we have very different tastes in fashion we have very different tastes in humor like they enjoy michael mcintyre i'd rather die like they you know that they, they, they won't mind me saying like s slightly conservative more no vastly more conservative than me um that made me think okay am i Am I not a, a stranger is the wrong word, but like, is there a, is there a gap there because of my queerness or is it just because of like, we're, we're different people. I really tried mm -hmm. to de-pedestal this idea that they have to, I have to like insanely get on with my parents. I mm -hmm. do. They're fine. Um, <laughs> they're fine. Um, but I need to, and I spoke about this in the re relationship chapter as well. I just really tried to de-pedestal all of these relationships that I have with people so that I don't put all of my like approval in my relationship with these people. And then I was like, okay, it's fine that they have a shit taste in fashion. Um, and that's why the family chapter is called the hydrangea bush, because I bizarrely describe myself as being a bush next to a tree, <laughs> which is my take on being the black sheep. Um, <laughs> um um, do you want to talk about actually how you found strength in the community and your kind of chosen family? Chosen family is a very interesting one because I, I'm about 45 years old. So I don't enjoy nightlife. I never have. Probably never will unless it finishes sharply at nine o'clock. Um, and I think even to this day now... Um, you know, It's a Sin has just premiered. Brilliant, gorge, lots of shagging. But mm -hmm. it's part with things like this and with queerness, when it comes to chosen family, that a lot of, and I understand this is the majority of people, find their chosen family through nightlife, through clubs, through drinking, through all of these things. I've never, I've never done that because I don't like it. So for me, finding chosen family was a different route and it came through social media it came through finding people in that space which is really disgusting but it's it, that is what happened um and then also for me chosen i know it's again another exclusive but i don't limit chosen family to just queer people i obviously center that 
and I understand the the relevance of that and that the, there is a deeper family connection with with queer chosen family but for me I also choose people that I just like my like really good friends or like people that I have a really great relationship with um that I formally ask if they would like to join my family <laughs> family tree um so that's yeah that's kind of what the de-pedestalling has done for me is it's made me think who do I actually really like in this group of people? Do you want to, like, do you want to join it? Not like I've got, like, a house, but do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I, I will, once I realise that someone is brilliant, everything just opens up and I'm theirs. So you mean the membership cards that you gave me and Brendan are pointless? <laughs> Unfortunately. Um, I could see you joining. Maybe, like, some, like, little nephews you could be my <laughs> stunning thank you um i'm also notoriously this is what my mum another exclusive when my mum read the book she was like jamie you've got all of you've got a lot of this wrong because i i cannot for the life of me work out family trees i've only just grasped that my mum's mum is my gran so like <laughs> When it because I I don't have any cousins or I don't have anything like that so when people are like yeah my fifth cousin half removed I'm mm. like n literally no clue what you're talking about and I did I made quite a lot of errors in the book apparently <laughs> so you're welcome <laughs> so everyone can go and buy that book now in all yeah the books there. <laughs> a book full of errors and lies <laughs> and deceit um, number two on the trans chart right now. <laughs> Um, I'm going to go for a walk with you. Let's go for a walk. Stunning. One of the chapters in your book is called Stapling the Jelly, which I think is a fantastic way to, to imagine your your mental health. Um, and I could visually see it and also relate to everything you're saying in there. Um, can you briefly describe what you mean by stapling the jelly for, for those who haven't read your book? It's a great question. Um, I don't know why... I, I sometimes feel like my the imagery in my head is too niche. Uh, I'm just so so niche, but I'm glad that you re resonated with that because it is a. I wanted to call it something very visual, and I basically I wanted it to resemble something that you can see, and is suspended, and you you know if you really dig hard enough, you can get to the centre of. But it takes a lot of work. You know, no one likes to finger a jelly to get to a stapler. <laughs> So, oh, cars, um, <laughs> and yeah, that's what I wanted it to basically re explain something that you can see and it's tangible, but will take a lot to get to. There's a f there's a few different things within that. You you talk about going to therapy. You talk about um, the experiences you have with your counsellors, the need for it in the first place. Um, can you talk about? the fact of not using external sources to solve your mental health problems because I think that's a problem that a lot of people have is they try to think that they'll change everything around them and then they'll suddenly be a different person with different thoughts and a different you know way of life and, and mental state but yeah can you talk about that so my ghost writer's just telling me Zoella <laughs> <laughs> um, shush um <laughs> I basically, this, <laughs> this chapter 
was a difficult one to write, similarly to the previous or the end two, because it, again, it was a situation that although I was pulling from my past to write about, it was um, the latter of the chapter was me right in that moment last year, um, two years ago. So external resources, I think for me now, I've realized, you know, my thoughts have changed vastly since I've written this book. I wish I could redact the majority of it. Um, that's not true. But I I think in, when I was writing, I did think that therapy will be the answer. And it is, you know, it is, it's, it's a va very valuable tool. And I think we should do if we can afford to or if we should can find free therapy go um you know i think a lot of people see therapy as something when it's like i've got a problem let's go to therapy whereas actually you don't necessarily have to have a crisis to find therapy valuable and i think that's what i wanted to try and convey is that we should be going to therapy like we go to the dentist or which in my case is never um no um or you know how we go to like the gp it needs to be something that is regular and doesn't need to come as the result of a meltdown um but external resources i mean i still struggle with that now it's very difficult to not just especially in this pandemic to mm. be able to like just use your crutches it's okay like we need to we need to be able to cope mm -hmm. so do what you do what you need as long as it's not it's balance isn't it is the important one it's very true yeah i mean obviously some coping mechanisms are unhealthy fine mm -hmm. but i think you know equally i've now realized since writing that a lot of the coping mechanisms that i had at, even at the time of writing were bad and i've now been like okay those were bad let's sort those out when you talk about your counseling that you had in uni um you say that she obviously wasn't that well equipped to um deal with trans and non-binary issues and you you kind of suggest that um, counselors should be, you know, have, should have these tools in their pocket to be able to, to be able to deal with absolutely everyone that they come in contact with, with, which I think is a really valuable point to have, especially for someone who is a counselor for, the, for a university where there's such diverse um, people there. Um, yeah, can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, bless her. Um, she was lovely, but I did have to make my own little box, quite my own little boxes on the form, and I think she is an example of. Not only someone who knows how to rock a blow dry, but someone who is able to be incredibly honest in her job by literally in that first meeting being like, I'm not going to lie to you, Jamie. I have n not met that many trans people. I've not worked with that many trans people. Um, I don't necessarily feel fully equipped. And I was like, do you know what? I appreciate the honesty here. Um, and what we did was, without me having to explicitly educate this woman, through her just listening to me talk, she realized that actually a lot of the problems that I was having, although felt identity specific and needed to be looked at with the lens of nuance, also were problems that a lot of people have. I just happened to be trans whilst having them. So she was able to educate herself on the nuances of my specific situation whilst being able to be like, actually, Jamie, this is a problem that a lot of people have and there's a solution here that doesn't necessarily have to be molded to fit your identity. It just works for everyone. Um, and I think that was really lovely. I actually, uh, that 
I think is it, it, that kind of fits the book as well overall. Obviously, it is titled In Their Shoes, Navigating Non-Binary Life, but reading the whole... Obviously, you discuss a lot of your own personal experiences, but a lot of the stuff in there... I am not non-binary. I identify as a cisgendered gay man, but a lot of the stuff in there I resonated with, and I think mm. that is for anyone else reading it as well. I imagine they will get the same reaction as well. Yeah, thanks, babe. Yeah, no, I think that's what I wanted to try and do. I hate the, I hate it. I was when I was writing, people are like, "How are you going to make it accessible?" And I was like, "Obviously, there's a case for to make it accessible so that lots of people can enjoy it." But I was also like, "Fuck accessibility! I'm mm-hmm. not gonna." To, to to a very specific audience, but I was like, I'm not going to cater this book so that Jeff from Doncaster can really <laughs> understand. Like, it's, you know, as the amazing um, Paula Akpan on the front, she put it so succinctly, like, this is a love letter to my trans and non-binary siblings. It, that those are, They are the, the target audience. However, I have, as you've just said, Matthew, a lot of responses that have been from surprising people that I'm glad they've taken something away, especially I think in the fashion the fashion mm-hmm. discussions, people have really been able to be like, oh yeah, I wear clothes and this is how I feel <laughs> about my clothes. Um, thanks for articulating that, Jamie. Um, but yeah, some people, some people won't get it. Some people will say I'm too young. Some people will say... I don't know what I'm talking about and I will tend to I will agree with all those people of course I don't fucking know what I'm talking about who does I'm just writing a book I, like that's what annoyed me as I was like I'm just writing a just writing a book babe like it's it would be different if I was gonna sit here and be like I'm writing a theory book mm-hmm. I'm gonna really pick it wasn't that mm-hmm. I'm not good at that that's not my area of expertise so I didn't do that a lot of people said that the really selling it here just going through all the bad reviews (laughs) but a lot of people said the advice was too vague and i was like well you try and give advice to potentially thousands of people all i can do is the advice i wanted to give was to share my experience and for people to pick and choose what they resonated with take what you like leave the rest i think that kind of goes back into a few of our guests have said this in in different ways but people just like to have a quick fix a little bit like with therapy when you were just saying then you know people kind of like i'm gonna go to therapy and then that will be the answer mm-hmm. in our exercise episode um matt that we spoke to in there was like you know they a lot of people think i'm gonna join this 12-week plan and that's gonna solve all my problems and that's all i need to do so if i buy this book you know i'm gonna all of the questions i've got are gonna be answered and that is all i need to do and actually it's it's like one of a million things that actually you need to pull together to even just begin to start on the process of it because it's never there's never just a one size fits all thing is there well yeah exactly and like it goes back to again what we were saying about people labeling me as this form of like oracle and i've never (laughs) i've never just i've never said that i am that i've never you know i've never claimed to know the answers people have just presumed i do because i am vocal online and i have i use my voice and i'm white and i'm able to be listened to more palatably as it were than other people and that's 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 the problem with this industry is that certain people get certain positions and they're then expected to speak on absolutely everything um and going back to what you said about therapy absolutely like this year i have gone through therapy and then found huge problems 
in my life that I've been like, right, okay, let's go and sort this out. And then I've gone into separate uh, situations to like really focus on those on those problems that aren't within therapy, but are within other programs that I'm like, okay, let's do this. And I think that's what people need to do if they don't understand things is they need to be like, right, okay, I've located the confusion. Let's try our best to learn more about it. And then how can we put that into action? One of the things I was thinking about after I'd read it, and it kind of goes into what Brendan was saying about the counsellors side of stuff and how counsellors are not educated in issues that they should be. Um, is when you discuss the police case in the book and the way that the police treated you and the case in general. Just the baseline of like sympathy and empathy that they didn't have to begin with, never mind all of the other levels of treatment. Um, I have been fortunate to only ever... I've had experience with the police, but it was when I was younger. It was a sexual abuse case and it was when I was a lot younger. So that also didn't go down very well. That ended with nothing. Um. I guess it is the same thing of just like people are just never fucking educated. And I guess the main thing that I would say to people with this goes back to just like picking the book up and fucking reading it and just like doing some research for yourself. Do you know what I mean? Well, yeah, that's the thing. I think for when I rang them in the book and the experience I talk about in the book with like physical harassment, I'd never spoken to the police before. I've, I've I've never had an interaction with them before. So I was like not really knowing what to expect. And obviously one can predict what's going to happen. And if, if you, pre- you know, as a marginalized person of any identity, you can predict what's going to happen and that can be a real deterrent. But <clears throat> everyone around me was like, ring the police. I was like, fine, I'll, I'll ring the police. And they, would, they were shite. Um, and you know, I've published stuff this year about my my further experiences with the police, and it's it's just a recurring, a recurring thought. And I think we all have we all have lived through twenty twenty where we've realised that defund the police is an important narrative because you can't you can't send, for example, in both of my situations, I'm a vulnerable person who needs I would say specialist treatment, but needs someone who is who understands things, understands identity. Um, especially after, you know, sexual assault and that type of thing, you need someone there with an emotional capacity to be able to deal with that. And every time I've dealt with them, it's been robotic, no humanity in what they're, in how they speak to you. And it's like, it puts into perspective why defund the police is so important. Because if, you know, if we'd had, I can't speak for you, but if, if we'd had people who come to us in those moments of crisis, that were actually mental health trained and were specially specific to our crimes, we would have had a better a better time. Because if I had a pound for every time the police would say to me, this year, last year, we are not mental health trained. We can't help you in that regard. All we can do is tell you where to go. I would have enough money to buy therapy. <laughs> mm. That's that's how, frust- you know, they, they don't have the capacity. And I wanted to get that across. I wanted to get that across in the book because mm-hmm. it's 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 frustrating that as trans people you are disproportionately targeted by harassment, by sexual assault. Yet the services that you are more likely to need are less catered to you. Mm-hmm. It's like a you need it more; they make it less accessible. Yeah. Um, so yeah. 
But one of the things I did also want to mention, just because it made me laugh so much, mm. is your experience at fashion PR. Oh my God. <laughs> because Thanks. I did exactly the same when I was in second year. I was, um, I had to go and do a three month, as part of my term, three month internship. Honestly, the description that you gave of all of the staff, the team, the behaviors, everything, I was like, oh my God, the PTSD that gave me reading that. <laughs> I was like, I got screamed at because I bought the wrong um, scrubbing brush for the sink. Wow. It didn't. It yeah. didn't come with the handle that you could put the soap in. I would scream I... at you for that. I scream. <laughs> I'd be fuming. Uh, I hated that's... it. I hated it. Absolutely vile. I like. That's the other thing. Like, there's so much to my life that I was like, I've not talk, spoken about this. Like, my background is in fashion business. That's that's my area. And yeah, going into PR, I was like, you are all a bunch of cunts. Mm. <laughs> well, that was I've in, I've kind of discussed it very briefly in other episodes. But when I graduated, I went to work for a very big fashion brand. I've since gone to press about experiences there and business fashion article and stuff. Mm. Um, but people just assume that because a lot of the leadership teams are women, that diversity is covered. But actually, it's it's all all white. You only see any sort of ethnic diversity at the store level. The higher up in the in the organization you get, it just it becomes one shade of person. It's all white. Mm. And then you've got women and gay men. And the, the toxic environment and all sorts of head offices is just next level. So reading that bit, I was just like, but it, it made me laugh a lot. <laughs> yeah. No, and I think you're... Your piece with business of fashion was was brutal. If, if no one's, if everyone's not read that, um, get a grip, go and read it. Well, similarly, we um, there was a lot. I was meant to be named in there, and there was also more stories in there, but they all had to be taken out because of lawyers. So lawyers, honestly, mm. but no, yeah, it's just, it's, 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 I wanted to show like. I'm going to sound like an absolute knob, but like everyday struggles. Do you know what I mean? Like things that are just like annoying that aren't necessarily identity specific, mm -hmm. but like a lot of young queer people are in the creative industries and we have to go into mm -hmm. these stupid situations mm -hmm. um, where you end up just like eating your lunch in the bathroom because you don't want to yeah. see or even hear <laughs> anyone. I oh, also, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm just looking at my notes again. Just another thing I wanted to say made me laugh is the Pokemon reference in the start of the book. <laughs> That was just a total curveball. I was like, I was not expecting a Pokemon reference in like page three. There's no one way to be non-binary and truthfully, that's one of the best things about it. It's an identity that you're to shape, create and evolve. While I'm not a fan of Pokemon, this is what I imagine it might be like. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. To save the world from devastation. <laughs> and if you're listening to this now, whilst playing Pokemon Go, I would implore you to get a life. <laughs> 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 so thank you so much for chatting to us thank you so much jamie you are more than welcome thank you it's for been a pleasure letting me wander around my house looking like terry wogan <laughs> but no it's been an absolute pleasure j'adore thank you Honestly, could speak to Jamie for days. But yeah, thank you, Jamie, for chatting to us. You can find Jamie at Jamie underscore Windust at both Twitter and Instagram. 
you can get in their shoes at all good bookstores. Yeah, make sure you leave some gorgeous five-star reviews. We sure have. Stunning. And if you come across Ian's review, tell him to fuck off. Yeah. So our next episode is going to be on the topic of therapy, which we haven't really spoken about in, in, in depth before. Um, so what would be really great if you wanted to share any experiences with us is you could send um, send anything to us via our DMs on socials um, or to bottomingpodcast at gmail.com and we can try and go through them and ask any questions, any burning questions you might have around therapy. And that won't just be me and Brendan asking the questions. We are going to have... Um two or three different experts um on this episode that we've got coming up um because yeah we want to kind of explore the different avenues into therapy whether that is private nhs or kind of a charity type basis as well so um yeah send us any questions um, and we will hopefully shed some light on them but in the meantime you're doing amazing sweetie and you're doing so amazing sweetie bye bye Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.